This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Emrik Chauhan, Lead Product Manager at WeChat. Emrik, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Hi, Art. Thanks for having me. Terrific. Thank you for coming. Okay. Um, expectations versus reality. This theme is old as this world. In so many walks of life, we set our expectations high. We're driven by optimism, which on itself is a great quality but sometimes it may lead you to a very frustrating experience. Mobile app development and marketing can be one of the brightest examples, especially when venture capital is involved and the expectations that app projects will deliver quick returns are high. Today, we have Emmerich to tell us the story of expectations versus reality of developing and launching an app called Witch. But first, before jumping on the topic, Emmerich, please tell us about yourself a bit what is your background in mobile? Yeah, so I'm Amrik, and I, I've I've actually been building digital products for, I think, the past fifteen or so years, um, and that's been across a broad range of things from websites to to platforms, and more recently, right the way through to to mobile apps. So I think in that time, I've I've seen a lot of change in the technology space. It's it's evolving so rapidly. Um, I've always had a a specific interest in mobile apps. Um, I'm just generally a very curious person and I've been lucky enough to have worked across many different companies in that time. So right in the early stages of my career, I worked for the for the Financial Times and worked on some apps there. Um, and then later on, I've, I've worked at Nando's, which is very popular here in the UK uh, on their app. And I've also worked for KFC launching their brand new app across Western Europe. Um, and yeah, now more recently, uh, I, I joined Witch a couple of years ago now um, to build out a new mobile app strategy. And as part of that, we've launched a, a new app as well. That's pretty diverse career uh, from KFC to Witch. Um, yeah, that's like, to me, as diverse as it can get uh, to cover that broad spectrum of different apps. But let's talk about Witch app. Um, before I write about the app, I wasn't sure. Uh, are we talking about pronoun witch or like a witch hunt? Which witch? So <laughs> well, obviously we're talking about pronoun, but what's the what's the app is about? Yeah, I can I give you a gist of who witch are as an organization. Um, so we're we're the UK's consumer champion. So if you're listening outside of the UK, you might not have heard of us. Um, we're a not-for-profit organization which has a tar- charitable mission as well. So that's where we identify, anticipate, and expose consumer harm. Um, And we try to identify solutions and act to prevent harm. Um, So whether that's by empowering and equipping customers, uh, consumers, sorry, to to avoid and tackle harm with direct advice, or whether it's challenging and supporting policymakers, you know, people like MPs and members members of parliament to do better, uh, right the way through to challenging and supporting businesses to do better as well. so that could be as simple as, you know, providing advice on which washing machine to buy. It sounds very trivial, but there's a lot of consumer detriment in 
um, in, in everyday products where, you, you know, you want to buy something that should last. And if a business right. isn't, if they're not making products if they're if they're making products that are just going to break down in a couple of years well we think that's not okay um so all all of the revenue that we generate from our commercial operation you know subscriptions for example funds this charitable work that we do um and, and prior to me joining which our mobile products were were really under invested in and were not seen as a core part of the user journey and, and our proposition uh, and that's, of course, changing for, for us as it is for, for most organizations around the world as we see consumer habits change. So when I joined Witch, my early focus was to, to build out this new mobile strategy um, for our mobile apps. Um, and, and now the app has over 10,000 product reviews. So you can find anything from reviews uh, that we've done on mattresses right through to TVs, boilers, all kinds of things. Um, and, and now we're working hard to add more of our content um, that we produce and, and you can find on our website, but bringing that into the app as well um, so that we can open it up so that you don't have to necessarily be a member to find and consume our content. That's quite an interesting concept because before I knew about your app, I would go to Quora to ask a question about the product, but obviously I would be given a lot of answers that were not given like people who are really know what they're talking about, you know, can be consumers who may, you know, uh, just give me their opinion, not the opinion of a professional who can really evaluate the product and give me the answer. Is it safe? Is it uh, something I really need to consider? So this is kind of a, a dedicated to empowering consumer, giving them right information, but in a way it's a kind of a Q and A in, in that respect as a Quora, right? Um, almost, I think, um, we, we provide impartial, unbiased, um, reviews and advice. Um, so we, you know, unlike a lot of organizations like Quora and, um, you know, places like Reddit and, and, and things like that, where yeah. a lot of the revenue that they make is through ads. Right. Exactly. Um, we don't, we don't serve ads because mm -hmm. we are completely unbiased. So the commercial element of our proposition is, um, is what funds our charitable work and that helps to keep us impartial so if a product is bad we will say it's bad we will actually have a don't buy label on our app and on our website yeah. as well which we would advise you don't buy this product because it's it's not good um, whereas I think in in other places um, I mean, we, we've done a lot of work recently exposing the the, the the system that is fake reviews and you know you you, oh, yeah. you probably you know a lot of people listening will will maybe have experienced some kind of fake review in the past whether it's you know, amazon. At, yeah amazon um how, how much can you trust what you're reading i think that's maybe one of the key questions there uh, and we try to to remove um or we try to bring in that impartiality to what we write about and how we kind of um produce our content yeah, that's that's really great, helpful thing to uh, help people to really see uh, the value of, um, like, uh, try to mitigate the all the problems that fake reviews bring to the consumer market. Because yeah, but people who buy products on Amazon they rely on reviews, and like the whole idea, like reviews on the App Store, there there's kind of a related story, you know, with the fake reviews over the years when people were buying reviews. Bulks from people who never tried those products. They were just providing, you know, reviews for money, not actually trying any particular app.
What to improve your app marketing skills? Know how to fight back mobile fraud? Or how to launch an influencer marketing campaign? You've got it all at the Business of Apps Insights. Opinion, how-tos, thought leadership, and analysis from global app and social media industry. Visit our insights section at businessofapps.com slash insights slash podcast. And now, back to the show. Um, now, uh, late March, uh, you were part of the App Promotion Summit in London, and you told a great story of the how expectations of your team and which were smashed by the harsh reality. So, in particular, you brought three key lessons you had learned. So let's lay them out for the audience one by one. Assumptions about the product features, assumptions about deadlines, and assumptions about the success, quick success. Uh, yeah, it, it was quite interesting for me because I had a chance to reflect on the journey of building and, and launching an app. And so that first assumption about product features was really us having the expectation that we knew what we needed to build. Well, we thought we did. Uh, and it was only until we had a beta product, a beta app, that we then uh, deployed onto TestFlight and we actually tested that app with a small group of our customers. And I think that's when we got that reality check that some of our assumptions that we made early on were, were wrong. Not all of them, but some of them. And I think we, we then realized just how important it was to get that beta out there quickly to be able to learn quickly as well, what was working, what wasn't working. Um, and I think this really does get to the heart of the need of understanding the problem space very thoroughly. Um, and then the, the second assumption was, yeah, deadlines. Uh, in our case, it was about timing our launch. When When should you launch an app? And I think there were, for us, there were a few conversations internally about when we should launch the app. Uh, and at the App Promotion Summit, I spoke briefly about the triangle of constraints. I'm not sure what the exact term is, but it's where you have cost, time, and scope. Mm-hmm. And, and when you prioritize one of those items, more often than not, one or both of the others has to give way. Like, for example, if you prioritize scope, well, you probably need more time to deliver it. So that's the thing that's going to have to be negotiated. Um, and for us, I, I think we felt, and I felt in particular, that we should prioritize time um, because I simply felt that it was important that we press forward re- with replacing a lot of the legacy tech that had been built up over time. Um, and especially considering that we had a solid pace of shipping products. So we were shipping app updates in quick succession, one app update every week. It, it just gave us a lot of confidence that we could catch up the scope element of that triangle. Um, so yeah. I, I think, yeah, my advice for the audience really is you, you kind of need to make a judgment call on what is right for your business and in, in your scenario for the app. Uh, but keep in mind that no one is going to remember when you launch. Like, does anybody, re- like if you look on your home screen on your on your smartphone right now, do you remember when any of those apps actually landed in the app store? For That's the most part, matter. like for no. 99, yeah, like exactly. Uh, like, no, like for 99% of apps on your on your device, if not more, um, you know, you, you, you won't remember when they actually launch. So just my advice is get your product out there as quickly as you can, begin learning. That's when you know what's working for your customers and what isn't, and then go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's not the point of remembering the specific date when the app was launched, uh, unless, I don't know, if it's the... Uh 
Pokemon Go something which is a part of a culture, but we don't have a lot of apps uh, that are part of the culture on that level. For the vast bulk of apps, uh, it doesn't matter at all. And um, well, what are your like? You you have three assumptions. So the last one was about the quick success. So, um, how did it play out for the app? What was off? Yeah, like I think, like we we live in a world now where we hear stories about instant success. You know, this app grew to a million subscribers in a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like that. We we don't really hear the story behind that success quite often. We we see the one-liners, we see those snippets of of success, but but actually, building a successful app takes time. Um, and and my advice here is that think about the long-term position of your app. Um, maybe in, in certain scenarios you know if you're a, a much bigger brand like you know Nintendo and you're, you're launching Pokemon Go or something like that m- maybe you've got to think quite carefully about how and when you launch and, and your strategy around that but for most companies I think um, thinking about the long-term positioning of your app and the strategy around that that that's what I think my advice is to focus on. Yeah that's that's totally valid point you have to um you know, over the years, I, um, I've i been hearing this uh, kind of a struggle between two ways of dealing with app production. Some people never deliver. They perfect every detail for weeks, months. They want to deliver every possible feature in the version one because they believe their the first, the first impression will be paramount for their success, which is not a... They may, they may have a point, but when it takes so many, so much time to deliver your first version of your app and your competition is light years ahead of you, you're just missing your market. And on the other part, you may deliver the app that is um, kind of a half-baked, uh, but the, like in my, for my mind, the best approach, was if you look at Apple, what they do with apps or products, the first version delivers not every possible imaginable imaginable feature you would like to have in that product, but the ones it does deliver, it does really great, nice, and robust. And there's always a way you can you know, continue to interact, continue to deliver more versions of the same product and retain, retaining the audience you're getting with each iteration. But it's, that's just impossible to be able to uh, put into the product every idea you have in the yeah. in the inception of your product. So now um, over the years, I heard stories from app developers that were quite similar similar to your story. Uh, as time goes by, people repeat the same mistakes over and over, just part of our human nature. But we're not gonna try to you know go to the aroma psychology and see if we can uh, answer the question why people are doing that. But let's try to give kind of a strategical advice uh, on the mindset that will help them to avoid doing those mistakes. Yeah, I, lo- I love this question, actually. Um, I-, I think it a-, a lot of it comes down to the culture that you have within the company. Um, you know, there are some obvious mistakes that you should avoid doing, you know, things like choosing the right tech stack, hiring, etc. Um, but I don't think anyone should really be afraid of making mistakes per se. And, and actually, like making mistakes is is healthy because it help, helps us learn faster. Right. I think the biggest piece of advice that I can give anyone 
is to find ways to bring a product mindset on how to build an app into your company. Um, and I think this is really important because it's as much as how you go about solving problems than the problem itself. So things like you know using data to, to make informed decisions, doing research yourself, um, speaking to customers to understand the problem space a lot better, you know, and, and then prototyping and testing ideas at pace. I think often that kind of stuff is overlooked um, and you tend to go down different rabbit holes and make mistakes uh, and, and trivial mistakes if, if you don't do, do those kinds of things. Um, and I think that really then helps you to understand your customers better and it gives your app a much better chance of being successful. So only people who do nothing do not make any mistakes. It's just part of the deal. Uh, you should be ready for making your own mistakes. Uh, it's un unavoidable, but your mindset should be ready for that moment and know how to deal with that, how to mitigate the problem. Um, like I would, I would suggest people not to um, be very um, consumed by the you know mistakes and uh, spend time on kind of an emotional reaction. Try to get over it faster. Yeah. Um, like Steve Jobs used to say, "Do not look back." leave that legacy behind um, it's over it's the past let's just uh, learn the mistake and move forward now uh, looking back at your experience of working with various apps uh, what app category do you find uh, the most challenging to build apps for yeah I, I don't think it's an easy question to answer actually because there are nuances in every industry. Like for example, building an app in an industry that's heavily regulated like banking and finance, that's always going to be harder as you might not be able to move as quickly as you like. Maybe the challenges are less about the category, but more about like, maybe, maybe there's two things that I would call out. One is the technology. Like, are you dealing with legacy tech that needs to be modernized in parallel with running your app? Or do you have a clean slate and the ability to select the right platforms for the kind of app that you're building. I think it gets more and more complicated when you're building an app for a company that has other platforms too, like web, voice, and so on. Do you need a common platform to serve content to both of those products, like app and web, um, and, and so on and so forth. And I think that's where a lot of the, the complexity comes in and, and that, that isn't an easy step and always poses you know huge challenges in, in every industry. Uh, and maybe the second thing that I would say is um, is around people and culture. You know, your app might be a great idea, but without the right people and culture to deliver those ideas in the in the way that I mentioned, you know, having that product mindset, um, culture of build, measure, learn, talking to your customers, rapidly prototyping and testing your, you know, validating your assumptions, it, it's just going to be a massive challenge. Now. We are transitioning to the second part of the show, where I always get a chance to ask every guest uh, just a few quick questions, because I want to not only bring people value of uh, giving the insight on a specific topic, I want people to know my guests a little bit better. Here we go. So quick questions. Question number one. What smartphone do you have now? Uh, have you been switching between these two uh, giants or just staying one side all the time? Um, I, I'm definitely an Apple fanboy. Um, I use an iPhone 12 Pro Max right now. 
and I'll probably get the new iPhone when it comes out this year. Um, I, I, I think I've had iPhones from when they first came out. Um, I do now have a Samsung um, S7 II, but I only really use that for work and for testing our, you know, our, our, our app. Um, I think one thing I would add, add is I think on the hardware side, maybe Android is slightly ahead with, you know, things like the Pixel and Samsung phones. But for me, iOS is just streets ahead with the operating system, especially when you think about the user experience. Yeah, totally get it. And plus, I would assume you have a lot of stuff from the uh, Apple's ecosystem, music, movies, games and stuff. Exactly. All yeah. in, in one package. Yeah, um, Apple One and um, Google have uh, something similar. But, you know, my kids, they, they you know, hound me to, to get the Apple Arcade. So I've got mm -hmm, that. I've got mm -hmm. Apple Music. Um, and it's just it, it's just easy to use. I think that's the that's the key thing. I think I take inspiration from that when thinking about how we build product uh, apps. You know, um, uh, how I've built apps in in the past and and what we're doing now at which. Yeah, it's a really good model to uh, try to repeat in your business. What was your first mobile phone? Let's jump back before iPhone era, before that famous wow. presentation by Steve Jobs. Was there Please anything phones. before the iPhone? Um, <laughs> there, there was live think... before iPhone. I do <laughs> yeah. remember. My so my first phone was a Nokia thirty ten. Um, it, like very nostalgic. Thinking back at, at, about it now, I mean, you could make a phone call, you could send a text message. I think it had this game called Snakes, uh, which was really addictive. Um, yeah. I think yeah, part of me misses those days as you know things seemed a lot simpler. Now, right now, uh, for whatever reason, you're going out and you're forgetting your smartphone at home, your iPhones you know, keep sitting on your uh, sofa. What would be the most missing feature for you when you're out? Uh, most missing feature? Um, I think Apple Pay, probably, without a doubt. I mean, sometimes nowadays I just leave my wallet at home knowing that I can just pay for things with mm -hmm. my phone if I need to, you know, pop to the shops. I think definitely that that would be the most um the, the thing that I'd miss the most. Yeah, the same here. I I tend to do the same thing. And every time I kind of uh, became a little bit bored, my wallet is home. But well, for what reason do I need those credit cards if I can just use Apple Pay anywhere pretty much by this point? Now, uh, probably there's something that is missing um, on the hardware software side of your iPhone that you would like to see in the you know future updates. Something that you, not necessarily that like features where uh, you can see um, on a tech radar, like something that people are expecting. But for you personally, would would you like to see something different in the hardware software for your for your iPhone? Um, I think it's quite interesting because I like when I think about the future, we probably won't be using smartphones in the way that we're, we're using them now. You know, I think about things like augmented reality, virtual reality, voice as well. Um, I, I do think when Apple eventually make their play into this world, especially like AR and VR, maybe mm. they come up with their own hardware. I think that's when things like, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality will hit the mainstream in a way that it hasn't done just yet and so that but perhaps that's a long way off who knows with apple right it could be this year it might not be it might be in five years who knows um i think that's something that i'm looking forward to it's slightly off topic of a smartphone but i think 
you know, with with both Apple and, and Android, the tie-in with how those devices will work with your smartphone, I think will be quite interesting to to see how that shapes up. Um, and then obviously the the tie-off with other other you know things in your home speakers now you know play a massive part in my home anyway um tv now you know most tvs are smart tvs and then it extends you know your washing machine can now be smart your fridge can be smart i think those kind of things you know there's connected devices internet of things again they're not very they're not highly talked about you know in mainstream media but i think eventually they they will all be connected um so I think that's going to be quite interesting to see how that plays out in the next in the next decade or two. Right. It's, it's it remains to be seen if Apple will choose to go with the you know so much uh, talked about but never seen the day of light the uh, automobile project. People are expecting a car from Apple, which yeah. is a big thing. Could be that they may shift their focus on you know creating the the their own uh, car, which which can be actually part of the internet of things of your home just the extension or i mean it could be both the augmented reality and the car we'll, we'll see it's hard to predict and this part that's part of the appeal of apple we're expecting something cool new that it's not foreseeable at least not to the you know every detail that people may expect okay before i let you go there's just one final question uh how could people can get in touch with you and get more information about what you do yeah, uh, just reach out to me. I, I'm mainly on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not really active on most other social media aside from LinkedIn, but I'm always happy to connect with, you know, like-minded people that are building apps and, and other products. Great. Enric, thank you. Thanks a lot for your time and being on our podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having me, Art. Thanks. And that was Enric Chahan, Lead Product Manager at WeChat. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We're list episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.